Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Well, hello everyone. This is Liz and Nick. I'm Liz. I'm Liz. This is Liz. Yeah, this is Nick. A croaky Nick. I have been watching, and I know Nick has as well, This Will Hurt, or This Is Going To Hurt. What's it called? Oh, God, you've confused me now. I knew what it was before you said that. I think it's This Is Going To Hurt, starring Ben Whishaw, which is the BBC series of the book by Adam Kay. Which is, the book is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And I actually... I really warmed to him as a personality. I thought he was just absolutely fantastic. But there was a huge, huge backlash on social media and in the papers. And the headings were misogyny on the maternity ward. Lots of women complaining that it objectified women as dull, stupid lumps of meat. Janice Turner in The Times tweeted... She said she found the show, and I quote, unbearably hateful towards women, especially pregnant ones. They're just thick cows. Remember that word. Malingerers, bigots, vaginas or slabs of meat. And in an article on Unheard, the website, Tanya Gold wrote that Kay's memoir is riven with hatred for female bodies. And there was a piece in The Times on Tuesday by a new mum And she says, in the days that followed, I had one word going round my head. This is after she gave birth, medieval. I recovered quickly, but I couldn't fathom the violence of it all. The medical staff were exceptional, but nobody told me the first shower I would have after giving birth would leave the bathroom looking like a crime scene. What does she expect? But my feeling is, Nick, and I haven't given birth... I get the feeling that these days everyone assumes that you can go through life without any pain or discomfort at all. Look at all the furore around the menopause. Oh, I'm sweating. You know, people don't take, you know. It's part of life and it's part of being what you are, which is an animal. And how could you expect giving birth not to be like a crime scene and the violence of it all? And my feeling, and this may be very unpopular, is the women who were incensed by the programme. If you want to see a drama from the point of view of a mum giving birth, write one. Write your own book and write your own drama. And I'm sure there have been lots of those. This is him from his point of view. It's ridiculous. That's what giving birth is. But I think they were watching a different programme to me because I didn't see any of that. I mean, for a start... Mums really need to calm down because it wasn't about mothers. It wasn't about, although it was based on a labour ward, etc. It wasn't about the women and their babies. It was about him, his experience as a, as a doctor. It was about the Indian doctor who I thought she was brilliant. Incredible. She brilliant. is such a brilliant actress. I thought, it, but he's he's telling you what is real, and yeah. maybe they do just treat 
the pe- the women who come in as sort of just patients and they don't get involved and you know that's his point of view and he's writing it from his point of view if you yeah. want to write a, a drama from the point of view of giving birth and being a mum it's a different write drama it. but it's a different write drama it. i mean this was about his relationship wasn't it with 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 his his fiance it was about his relationship with his mum which i thought was done really well about being gay in in that environment it was about the um british indian girl and, and the expectations of the family and didn't yeah. want to let her family the pressure. down and the pressure it was the pressure of the situation and, and the demands of the nhs there was so many facets to it that were done exceptionally well i don't see the need to focus on the one thing that really was was meant to be in the background it yeah. wasn't really about the mums and the babies it wasn't about them it was about the characters in the forefront i loved it so everyone all the all the mums got up in all the feminists and all the mums were up in arms about this program about how they were portrayed and then there was another program earlier this week the panorama about the dairy industry and you know i've been involved yeah. quite a lot in exposing yeah what happens to cows cctpd camera we try to launch a non-slaughter brand you've done a lot um, of work with animal yeah. aid haven't you that do a lots lot of, of work with animal aid yeah and i thought the panorama was shocking but it, what it was also about it was about mums yeah. because these cows are mums yeah absolutely. and so i thought okay mums you're all very vocal at the moment about how you're portrayed by adam how about all you mums out there have some empathy for something that isn't about you? Yeah. It's about other mums, other, other other animals who are giving birth in exactly the same way to all their calves. To their animal, yeah, to their How babies. about you get upset about that? So I tagged in lots of famous feminists when I tweeted and I said, come on, mums, this is a disgrace. Let's get behind this as well, because these are mums as well. And this is an important, important, fundamental issue of how we treat other creatures on this planet. And not one of them replied or bothered to tweet about it. Not one. shocking. So how can you be a feminist if you don't care about other mums? They might be a different species. Well, it's like vegans are always criticised and said about you care about animals. Actually, that's not true. Vegans... The ethos of being a vegan is we care about everybody. So I do care about mums and having both, but I care about all species yeah. of mums. You know, if you see an animal with its baby, doesn't matter whether it's, it's a dog, a cat, a horse, a cow, a sheep. Do you remember that amazing BBC series? It was called Animals in the Womb, and it was just pictures of all these animals in wombs, different it's the animals. Same as people. And it made you realise every we're all just the same. All the same. It's the same process, it's the same love. But I don't understand why feminists are only up in arms about women's rights and mum's rights, but they're not up in arms about other issues as well. If you care about your dog, you should care about calves and cows and lambs and sheep and pigs. You should. If you care about your children, you should care about children in other countries that but don't what have I that don't, what, The fundamental thing that I don't get about feminists is... It's about being a nice person. It's about being against misogyny and wolf whistling and rape and policemen being able to handcuff a woman and cart her off in his car. You're either a nice person or you're not a nice person. And you can't really compartmentalise. 
I don't know how you draw a line in the ground and you get up in arms about a dog being tortured, but you've got no problem at all with a cow being butchered for you. I don't get it. And that this is not a vegan having a vegan rant. My point with this particular issue, Nick, was that it was so immediate on the same channel, a programme about a doctor helping women give birth and he trained and he studied and everything and a program about cows giving birth they were almost on yeah. one after the other yeah. i would have thought that any intelligent person could make that connection and think if they hadn't thought of it before ah it's the same thing maybe i should be not up in arms about a tv drama about someone giving birth, he's doing his best, there's no abuse, there's no murders. Oh, it was ridiculous, ridiculous. But actually, the programme that came on just before it, that's shocking and terrible, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet and I'm going to post on Facebook about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually... How if, could you separate the two? You can't separate the two. And if you're a decent person, how can you think it's okay? Yeah, you're either nice or you're not nice. There's no line in the ground that you can just stand one side of and then think, I'm going to ignore everything yeah. over that line. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not a big fan of labels. I'm not a big fan of I'm a feminist or I'm a vegan. Actually, what I'd rather be... A nice person. ...is a decent person that's fair to everybody, that, that treats everybody and everything with respect. Yeah. You know, that I don't want to be any less respfful or fair to a cow or a sheep. Than, than I am to you. But it I just, just becomes be quite that. narrow-minded. If, you, if you're a feminist, the only thing you're going to post about and write about is women's rights. Yeah. So giving birth, the glass ceiling, whatever. Yeah. But you're not going to look at the world from a feminine point of view and think, that's not right to kick that cow. That's not right to use a pitchfork. No. You've Shocking. got to look, you know, and Shocking. I had this big row with Woman's Hour, didn't I, when they were yeah. doing a piece on racing, horse racing, and they had a female jockey on Woman's Hour. Whoa, whoa, female jockey on Woman's Shocking. Hour. Oh, female jockey on Woman's Hour. Do you get as many rides as the men? And does she carry a whip? That's, what That's I want not to know. the question, is no, it? It's not. Do you get as many rides no. as the women? The question is to the female jockey are you nicer to the horses? Yeah. That's the question. That's yeah. what being a woman is. It's being nicer, and I being more empathetic. Yeah. And I defy any woman that's got children to not put herself into the position of her baby being taken away when you are next to a field and they've taken all the lambs off of the ewes. But why did no one respond? hear them screaming. When I said, hang on, you're all moaning about Adam Kay, here's an issue you could moan about instead why did no one respond actually actually respond to something that matters adam's k thing was brilliant it didn't put women down that's ridiculous but oh, that's my opinion and i'm standing by it but actually if you watch a program and, and maybe you don't know what goes on in the dairy industry maybe you're in this bubble that makes it sort of that old dairy farming's okay if you then are educated and you see something to the contrary, do something about it, feel yeah. something about it, you know. They didn't know they weren't interested. Well, I think it's shocking and I think it shows their true character, you know, that if you care and if you're a nice person, you care about everybody and all the issues you do. You don't just care about... No, you don't care about your you. one little hobby no. horse. No, you don't. You don't and it's wrong. Yeah, you might focus on that, but you care about everything. 
So tell us about your Valentine's Day, Annette. Well, all wake up in saying to Martin, can you please book somewhere for, for dinner, you know, so that we can go out and have a lovely time? All week he was like quite reticent about it. Every time I asked him, he was very vague. Oh no, I've not done it yet. I've not done it yet. Sunday night he went out and got bladdered, and I kept my mouth shut. I gritted my teeth because I thought, okay, tomorrow night we're going to go out and have a lovely time. So the morning comes. I said to him, "What are we doing tonight? Oh, I've not got anything planned. Have you booked a table? No." I said, "Well, we won't get anywhere. It's not Valentine. You know, Valentine's night. You can't." So he's, he's blank, he's just looking blank. So, so what do you suggest? What should we do? So he's, well, why don't we get a takeaway and watch a film? I'm like, you lazy git. I wanted to go out, I wanted to do something nice and you want to get a takeaway and a film. Put your pearly eyeshadow on. Put me pearly eyeshadow on, dig the jumpsuit and the heels out, get something with an elasticated waist so I can eat a lot. You know, we'd be well away. So I gritted my teeth and I said, all right, okay. I thought, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to. And I thought, you selfish git. I wanted to go out. I thought, I'm not going to argue. You know, he went out last night. He had a lovely time. He come in paralytic. I didn't say anything. I'm not going to argue. So I get home from work and I'm anticipating. Is he, he was home before me and I thought, am I going to get home and the house is clean and there's going to be candles lit and roses. Flowers? Vegan chocolates. Did he get you flowers? No. Did you get your vegan chocolate? No. Do you know what I got? Nothing, nothing, nothing. You're copying. Don't copy me. Oh, well, it's the words, isn't it? Nothing, nothing. Did you nothing, get a card? No, nothing, nothing, nothing. Did you get a card? Nothing means nothing. So I got home and he was laying there on the sofa. And he's laying there wrapped up in the blanket with his mouth open dribbling. And I looked at him and I thought, there lies my prince. Look at my prince, charming. And you remember Bobbit, the Bobbit moment, where she cut his bits off? Ah. Yeah. I fantasised about it. And as my eyes cast over the washing up piled in the sink and him laying there, I thought, you know what? It's tempting. It's tempting. I really could have done him an injury. So anyway, I woke him up, not very happy, and I think I snapped at him, can you phone the takeaway and go and get it? Takeaway then, because it was so busy, because it was Valentine's <gasps> night. Two hours wait, so it wouldn't be ready till ten past nine. So he said to me, you choose what you want. You choose the takeaway you want. And I thought, well, that's good, because he don't normally want Indian. And I thought, right, you bastard, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Indian because you don't like it. Because I was so angry at this point, I was seething. So I said to him, well, we can have Indian if I can choose, because I, really, you know, I haven't had it for ages, because you always want Chinese. So then he went, oh, well... I fancy a Chinese. Should we go with that? I'm like, well, what happened to me picking? So I thought to myself, you're going to make me go and get it, ain't you? I can just see it in your eyes. And if I go and get it, I'm going to have to pay for it. So I shot in the shower, didn't I, to get the pyjamas on, like, as it's grease light. And I thought, I'm not going. I'm not going. So he goes off to get it, comes back. I gritted my teeth again. By now, I'm, I'm immersed in Emmerdale. I've got Emmerdale on Coronation Street. I've given up. I've just given up. Comes back, so I says to him, right, dishing the dinner up, what film should we watch as we're going to have a takeaway and a film for Valentine's Day? And do you know what the bugger said? Do you know what he said? Oh, a bit late for a film now. He took his plate, he went back on the sofa and he sat down watching his YouTube. Bugger off. 
Block bugger him. off. Block him. Block him. Block him. So block him and then block him again. Block him and then block him so he goes and gets blocked and then he goes and gets blocked again. Block him. Not happy. Chippy as well, isn't he? I'm not happy. Do you think he's chippy? I, well, do you know what I think? Well, I won't say what you think he is because it'd be a lot of bleeping. But basically, we went from me going out and having a nice dinner and having a lovely time to me watching Emma Dow and eating the takeaway while he watched his videos on YouTube. He's a giant teenage child. He's a... Absolutely. That you didn't know you gave birth to. Not even not even a half dead brother. Oh, and I said to him about flowers and he said, Well, I popped into co-op, but they were too expensive. So he's a tight fisted What can we call him that I can say on the podcast? Chippy. He's a tight fisted chippy git. <laughs> what about you? Well, my week. Has gone worse than yours. I know. Well, Go actually, on. it hasn't been this week. It it happened. And I've got a stinking cold. If so, if anyone thinks that I'm talking this because I've been strangled, I'm not. I'm just croaky. I've gone bald. You're not too bald. No, I am quite bald. You're not your usual. I mean, normally Liz has hair that's like, I mean, such a lot of hair. You can, you can see a difference. So this column is called "In Which I Lose My Crown and Glory." And I don't know. Despite I tell you what, what Martin Ninny lost his crown in glory the other night. Despite what people might think, I'm not a vain person. I write a column about my life, but I don't really care about myself or what is in my head. But then I went bald and suddenly I did care. Yeah, you're going to care if you go bald. It happened one night. It was, wasn't gradual. It was sudden. It was a shock. I washed my hair before a trip to London. And while it was still wet, I walked my dogs. I got back, and my hair was two big clumps, like dreadlocks. And I thought, yeah. that's strange, because it wasn't that windy. Why is it great, big, matted thing? So I started to use my fingers and untangle it, and these great, big clumps of hair came out, and I was gathering them up that's and gathering horrible. them up and gathering them up. And I thought, oh, maybe it's because I hadn't washed it recently. Maybe it's because I haven't brushed it. This isn't. This is normal. Surely, nothing to worry about. Calm, calm. So I collected all the hair and I put it on the fire where it fizzed like a firework. But the next day, I broke the habit of a lifetime and I looked in the mirror, and my head looked smaller. It was tiny, like a pea. Yeah. I could see scalp. I gathered my hair in my fist, and it felt flimsy and insubstantial. And I thought, oh. God, fear set in. I didn't want to confront it. I didn't want to put my hair in a top knot for a bath because I think the elastic thing would have told me, oh, God, what's happened? I was had a fear about what I find in the plug hole. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to book my usual roots tint as I was sure the hairdresser would recoil and say, oh, my God, you've gone bald. A friend suggested we go for a dog walk. And so I said, would you have a spare beanie? Because I couldn't let my friend see me. Because yeah. I thought, oh, my God, she's going to say what's happened to you. Because my hair's always been, it's been a constant through my life. It's been my thing. I've always had long, dark, very thick hair. It's my armour. It's my protection. I hide behind it. I play with it. I swish it. Men love it. As you hover over them naked, you can tickle them with it. My hair's always covered up my breasts because, you know, I hate my breasts yeah, and my yeah. scars. 
And I kept thinking I must be wrong, that it was normal, that it was something to do with spring. And I felt like I was grieving losing my hair. And these things aren't supposed to happen. No one warned me this was going to happen. Products are supposed to help. You know I love my products. Yeah, yeah. As a child, I had split ends. So I bought Protein 21 in Boots. And in those days, you could buy things in sachets. I could only afford the sachet. I couldn't afford the bottle. I used to love the VO5 hot oil yeah, sachet. Yeah, people don't buy it. things in no, sachets anymore, them. do I they? I love the VO5 hot oil. I bought Weller Balsam, Brick. Do you remember all those names? I yeah. But this, this. So I went to the Harley Street Hair Clinic. The lovely doctor told me his wife has thinning hair because of children, career decisions. And I almost said to him, I don't care about your wife. I want to know what's happening to me. And he prescribed some vitamins. And he said that a sudden loss of hair like that must be to do with an illness that I had about seven months ago. Really? So you and I looked at the calendar and that was when I had all that terrible sickness and vomiting and vertigo and everything. It was about seven months ago. And that was awful. It was so violent. Then I started to think it was the medication taken for that illness. So I stopped taking that medication. But although the doctor said, no, I don't think it's the medication. I'd rather throw up and have vertigo and still have some hair. Yeah. It is awful. I remember when I was um, first, when I had my thyroid problem and I didn't know what it was, I was having all sorts of awful symptoms. And one of the symptoms I had was really quite bad hair loss. You don't have that anymore, though. No, no, now I'm, now I'm on my thyroxine, I don't have it, but I had the same thing. But it was so, it didn't, it didn't happen gradually, just one day my hair fell out. Yeah, yeah no, I started, like, it's, 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 it's really quite frightening, actually. It's awful. You know, skin problems, you can fix skin problems with makeup, can't you, and creams and everything. And But I don't want to wear a wig. And I have enough problems, to be honest. And I think, why is this happening to me? It's also very unexpected. There was nothing that made you think your hair was going to fall out. No. And your hair's always been... I mean, you know, Liz, Liz in real life, I mean, it shows in her pictures, but in real life, she has got the most... Uh, the thickest hair I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it really is. Well, not anymore. Or was, yeah. It's kind of, honestly, Nick, it's kind of like, I feel a bit tearful, really, because it's kind of like the final straw. You know, first I was cheated on and divorced. Then, the, you know, my family disowned me because I stopped giving them money. Um, I lost my house. Then I was really ill last year, very, very ill. And now light bounces off my scalp. But it's kind of like, what next? It's funny because your hair is so important to you, isn't it? I've got a friend that's just gone through chemotherapy and radiotherapy and she's lost is all she her really hair. Is she really your friend? Yeah, no, she is a friend. I went to school with her and she's lost all her hair. And she said out of, you know, obviously having cancer is awful and it's frightening and the treatment's horrible, but losing her hair was like the final straw for her. It really upset her. But it's kind yes, it's like, for me, losing my hair is kind of like a symbol of my fallibility and I'm not as strong as I thought I was and I can't just power through and it's just humiliating and I never ever it never occurred to me that that would happen to me no and we still don't really know why it's happened no but I've got these little short hairs growing back haven't I have you had a look yeah no you have you're stubbly you have got hair growing back so hopefully you know that's it now. It's sort of but it's kind of like I, th- you you just go from one thing to another. 
and you think you're okay and then something else happens yeah, yeah. we've had that quite a lot lately haven't we we've had one crisis or one thing happen then you think oh okay that, that we've passed that we can just get on an even kill and then something else happens and it seems to be non-stop at the minute and i think a lot of people i'm speaking to are having that i think it's mercury in retrograde You can read this week's diary in full in Man on Sunday's You magazine. But you want to hear about my rather happier archive? Yes, let's have a happy, har- a well, happy archive. There was lots of headlines in the papers this week saying that apparently the best decade for people to live in when they were happiest and life was easier was the 1980s. I agree with that. The 80s were Fabulous. So there was a piece um, in the Times today about the music and actually how hard it was to listen to music in the 80s and how this chap had to, he wanted to make a mixtape and he had to put the recorder on and play the recorder to make the mixtape and then his mum would call him from downstairs, wanted to give him a paratha, so his mum wanted to give, to give him a paratha was in his mixtape. So it was more <laughs> difficult. But I also think before streaming and everything... I remember going to HMV, Tottenham Court Road, to buy a print single on CD. But you then had to buy a cardboard holder for the single to go in to put it in your CD machine. Oh, really? It was really difficult. What was the first record you ever bought? Well, the first record, my brother bought me the Monkeys album. But the first record I bought with my pocket money was My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. Do you want me to sing it? No, I've never heard of it. She's a fetus. Never heard of it. Mine was Duran Duran, please, please tell me now. Up the 80s. So in 2013, as fate would have it, <laughs> I went along to the V&A exhibition of the 80s. Oh, happy days. And it was a fantastic exhibition. And this is my piece about the V&A 80s exhibition. I now know why I never got a date until I was in my 30s. I was in my prime, age 22, when the 80s began. By the time the decade was over, so were my ovaries and my optimism. I've just been to a preview of, at the V&A celebrating London fashion during that decade that Style forgot, and I'm blushing at how ghastly I must have looked. The leggings... Rara skirts. The outside shirts with extravagant sleeves that meant you knocked everything over. Lumpy knitwear. Everything was brown. <laughs> I had a Donna Karan body. Do you remember bodies? I do remember bodies. I still remember the pain of the poppers. Yeah. You sat on the poppers. Who would design something so that you sat on I the don't poppers? Know. And the absolute misery of really, really needing a wee and you've got to get out of this contraption and you don't always make it. Really awful. But the exhibition was full of all these 80s labels that I'd forgotten about. There was a shop called PX in Covent Garden. Body Map, which sold stretchy clothes. The Body Map store was around the corner from my office in Soho, where I was working on Company Magazine. The John Richmond store, Helen's Story, the Mrs. Howie Boutique. Do you remember the Mrs. Howie I've Boutique? I've never heard of any of these people. <coughs> Butler and Wilson on South Moulton Street. And in the exhibition, they had a bracelet on show 
and it was identical to the one I was given as a leaving present when I left company magazine to work on Fleet Street, and I don't know where it's gone. There was a mohair cardigan made of patchwork squares by Patricia Roberts. Wow. Do you remember these patchwork sweaters? Knitting was a big thing in the 80s. And the, the puffy sleeves. What, what do you call them the, where they puff up over your shoulder? Awful shoulder pads. I was sacked by the daily paper who'd stolen me from company and I went to work on Woman's Realm editing the knitting patterns of these patchwork squares. You could have made one of those cardigans. No, because all the entire population of Britain were just in an impenetrable <coughs> knot. <laughs> there's a new romantic section and there was the very outfit that made me fall in love for the first time since David Cassidy. Do you know what the outfit was? Was it a Oscar? Pardon? Was it a Rara skirt? No. <laughs> it was the pirate outfit worn by Adamance on top of the pops in 1981. Oh, my God, Prince Charming. Prince Charming. <laughs> oh, I love that. I pursued Adam for years. I went on tour with him and I even daubed my face with broad white stripes. Is that Minnie? It's Minnie. Minnie wants a poo. I amaze the curator of this exhibition, Claire Wilcox, by trying to sniff the hem of Adamant's pirate jacket. OK, you need help. You really need help. While most of us think of Dynasty and Lady Di when we come for up the 80s, that's not what most of us working in fashion in London put on. We couldn't afford Georgina von Etzdorf velvet or the Bruce Oldfield evening dresses. Much of the fashion on show at the V&A originated at the Blitz Club in Holborn, where Boy George, Marilyn at Al Hangout, and only the coolest people were allowed past the door. I wasn't cold enough to get in, but I managed to get a job as the coat check girl, commission only. I oh thought, well, I've got it made. Oh, well, it's, I was going to the Ritzy in Tottenham. <laughs> it's, it's heaving every night. <laughs> it was David Bowie night. I didn't factor in that all the people were too cool to wear coats. And if they were wearing a statement coat, an Edwardian frock coat or a Parker bought from Lawrence Corner in Camden, they wanted to keep it on and be seen in it. Because it was their outfit. So I sat <laughs> on a stall for months and I didn't earn a penny. Oh, dear. My lifelong love <coughs> affair with fashion magazines was, in, was ignited during this decade. There was ID, Blitz, The Face. I fell in love with a model, an artist, Barry Kamen, the late Barry Kamen. Do you remember I wrote a piece about him when mm. he died? Even going so far as to copy his style, I bought a pair of Dr. Martin 2976 Chelsea boots with crackling to make them appear old. I didn't realise that I should dress like a woman in order to attract a man, not simply copy their style. The female models of the 80s made me ache with inadequacy and longing. Talisa Soto. Do you remember Talisa Soto? Never heard of her. She went out with Nick Kamen. Oh, very beautiful. Yasmin Lebon. Ah, know her, yeah. She very was on the very first issue of Elle in November 1985 and her flat-chested fabulousness inspired me to have my own breast cut off just to be like her. Gems in the exhibition include pieces from Vivian Westwood's Nostalgia of Mud collection, 1982. Her early shapes were always togas because she was yet to master tailoring. Oh, that I had kept my squiggle T-shirt by Vivian Westwood instead of it becoming a duster. 
Who knew how key this collection would become? There's a pinstripe gym slip by Margaret Howell. She was the first to co-op menswear for women. I loved her clothes, but she was wildly beyond my budget. My first ever fashion show was at Mulberry in 1978, the Hard Rock Cafe. And my first designer purchase was a Mulberry wallet in the early 80s. I couldn't oh. afford a bag, I got the wallet. I got the wallet instead. There's lots of tailoring from Paul Smith, who became very big in the 80s, who famously said, in order to sell a white shirt, it has to have a point of view. Right. A major purchase for me at this time was a navy Paul Smith man's overcoat. It had a red lining. And I wore it to be weighed each week at St. Bart's Hospital as part of my treatment for anorexia. And it was this overcoat with its felty lining that I cut open in order to secrete bottles of water to fool the nurses into thinking I'd put on weight. I wish I still had this coat and could donate it to the V&A, along with the bottles of water in situ, as a warning that fashion can be fabulous, but can also be fatal. I remember going to see Adamant play in the mid-80s live on the Strand and I was puzzled I couldn't make him out on the stage. I was going temporarily blind from hunger. Here too are silk slogan t-shirts by Catherine Hamnett. Proof designers were once intelligent and passionate rather than tax-avoiding money grabbers. There's a fantastic photo of me in the cupboard knit with a chambray Catherine Hamnett oversized shirt and black Liza Bruce leggings. What I really want is for you to have the 80s perm. Yeah, well, you didn't have to straighten your hair in those days. The bigger, the better. <laughs> I used to bulk buy lycra at the pineapple shop in Covent Garden until during one spree they cut up my credit card in front of me. I was addicted to crop tops, cut-off tights and little skating skirts. Just like Madonna. I tell the curator I have a few treasured items I'd like to donate. A Hamnet T-shirt with an embellished collar, her parachute silk shirt in sky blue, the very one Mick Jagger wore for his Dancing in the Streets video, a Butler and Wilson belt with a silver buckle. Do you remember the fashion for cowboy belts with silver buckles? Oh, God, yeah. Patrick Cox loafers, a cotton hand-knit snowflake sweater by Joseph Trico. They're all pretty much as good as new, which proves that in the 80s, before the exodus of manufacturing to the developing world, things were made to last. Many of the designers on show here bit the dust, but some survived, notably Westwood and Jasper Conram. There's an entire case devoted to John Galliano, gorgeous, melancholic garments from his Fallen Angels collection from 1986, embellished with a Tom Bins fork brooch. I remember being backstage at the time when John threw water over the models as they went out onto the catwalk in order to smudge their makeup and make the clothes cling. Wow. What a fantastic decade. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I loved the 80s, all for different but reasons. But you were a fetus in the 80s. You weren't working in Soho at the cusp of fashion. No, I know, but I reached my teens. I was in my teens, wasn't I? And it was, oh, God, I'd go back. Go back and do it all again before life got into responsibilities and debts and adulthood. Take me back to Adam Ant and Duran Duran. Bit of Whitney. Love Whitney. Yeah. I mean, the children nowadays Shall do I not Whitney? have... No, do not sing Whitney. 
The children nowadays do not have what we had in the 80s. It was marvellous. That was a time to be growing up. I remember I had a little recorder and I bought Whitney Houston's tape and I used to sit in the bedroom singing I Will Always Love You. I think I was in love with my history teacher or something at the time. I don't know. I was doing my A-levels. He was, he was ever so crumpet. You were quite a forward fetus. I was quite a forward fetus, yeah. I started as I meant to go on. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. So how are the readers this week now? They're very good. And I've got a little announcement about Boris. Oh, go on then. Because a couple, well, about three weeks ago I was saying about I'd done DNA tests for Boris and I wanted people to guess and the prize for the best guess. And nobody guessed it. Not a single person guessed it. Turns out that Boris from Romania is a pure beagle, 100% beagle. Oh, well, that's nice. So he's a gigantic 100% beagle. So I'm going to have a look in the Guinness records to see if there's a thing, an entry for the biggest beagle, because I think he'd do it. I have not seen a beagle that big. And do you get a prize? That's what I want to know. But Teddy's a pure collie, isn't he? My Teddy's a pure collie. I don't think so, no. I think he's got, I think he's got a shepherd or something in. I think Missy's part spaniel. In fact, I, I keep saying to Missy... The collie, because she's quite small. I keep saying, are you part Spaniel? She loves it when I say that to her. She's quite spotty down her legs, isn't she? Yeah, collies are spotty, but she's sort of mad like a Spaniel. Can you believe, though, I've got a Romanian rescue and he's 100% beagle. So it just shows all the people that don't want to rescue dogs because they're going to get mongrels or mixed breeds, which actually are fantastic. You can get pure breeds. Even if it's by accident. You wonder how he ended up out on the streets. God knows. God knows, because he obviously wasn't born on the streets, so God, God only knows. But we've got a letter from someone in Canada, haven't we? Can we they have. hear us in Canada? Well, this, is, this actually was a comment left on the column. I like to go through the comments sometimes to your um, diary and see what That's people are saying. That's a little bit sneaky, I think. No, I like to do that, because sometimes you get some really interesting ones. And this one's from Been Here Too Long. Been Here Too Long. And Ben says, the minute I... Oh, it can't be Ben, because it's... Obviously a woman. Right, okay. The minute I think about ever being in a relationship again, I feel tired. I love not having to make decisions that include someone else. I love skipping a meal if I want to. Why would you skip a meal? I love buying myself flowers. Yeah, I buy myself flowers. Often. I love having the two dogs I've always wanted. I love not caring if my clothes are sexy. I'll never be married to living with a man again. At age 60, I know better. Yeah, well said. Well said. Hey, go that woman. She had a better Valentine's Day than I did. We've also got Leslie, who says, Dear Liz and Nick, I sympathise with you totally. My husband breaks out in a hot sweat at the thought of Valentine's Day, and it's certainly not with romantic anticipation or intention. His precise words to me were, Don't expect a card, will you? I think he was born like a lot of men without a romantic gene. Charmer, don't expect a card. Don't get stressed if you don't get flowers or a card. Romance may be dead, but like sex, it's overrated. You can say that again. 
A good book, a glass of champagne and a bath filled with bubbles is romantic enough, all of which can be enjoyed on one's own. Yes. Go, Leslie. The worst moment is that you're having a lovely bath and you see him creeping towards you and he puts one leg over the bath and you're like, don't you dare. Batter him, batter him. I don't want someone in my water. I don't, I'm not doing the sharing skin cells thing. I think it's repulsive. I don't think it's romantic. I think it's nasty and dirty. If you want to get in my bath, make sure you showered first. Don't like it. But even then, I don't want them in my bath. Don't like it. But actually, both of these ladies have got it right because I've got a partner that I've been with for a very long time. And Who's he that? Put, well, the idiot in our own mind. I'm so annoyed with him. And he didn't do one nice thing for me on Valentine's Day. Not one nice thing. Therein lies today's lesson. It does. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.